Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the ATPE podcast. My name is Kate Johans, and I serve as ATPE's Marketing and Communications Director. And hello, everybody. My name is Paul Tapp. I am the managing attorney for ATPE. Um, Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Absolutely. Today, we're going to talk about the great resignation. That's something we've been seeing a lot about in the news. I know I've had several friends that have taken part in the great resignation, being uh, living through the COVID-19 pandemic caused them to rethink their career priorities. I also think that we are starting to see that in public education. Um, Would that be your experience, Paul? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, We always see every year, uh, we see teachers or the main um, educators that we talk to every year. We always see um, teachers or hear from teachers who contact us beginning of the school year because they have been offered a new position, oftentimes promotion or position that's more convenient for them, maybe closer to home, maybe a little more money, something like that. That's that's pretty common. We always get that during the year. Um, And, you know, other issues can come up as well, but we've never seen anything like we have this fall so far with teachers who are wanting to leave. And the difference in what we're really seeing is very much, I think, pandemic related, although I don't know that it's reconsidering careers other than the fact that um, we have a lot of teachers who simply are struggling to make it through um, this fall with all of the challenges that they have um, and are, are being forced to deal with. And we're hearing from a lot of teachers who simply are wanting out. We've talked about in our two previous episodes, both staffing shortages and the supplemental instruction required by HB 4545. I know that in addition to those, the HB3 reading academies have put a lot of additional pressure on educators as well. So it's, it's not really surprising that we're at this moment that we are. That's very true. And one thing we're also hearing about is, and this is something we're hearing about from teachers, although we're not seeing a lot of this uh, from either TEA or the media, is, you know, the kids basically were out, you know, were, were isolated for a year. And we're seeing a lot more discipline issues or teachers that are having a lot of discipline problems because, um, you know, we're, we're talking about... <laughs> Yeah, we're not talking about adults here. We're talking about children and coming back into the classroom after that isolation. Um, again, it teaches just another thing that teachers are having to deal with on top of the learning loss, on top of the continued pandemic, on top of, like you said, all of the additional legal requirements that have been put on them by the legislature related to the pandemic. It's just been one heck of a year. So yes, absolutely. If an educator is considering resigning, someone working in public education, what do they need to know before they take that step? Well, the first thing that's important, and we want to make sure that we're we're clear that we we are um, 
addressing this to everybody that could be working at a public school district, the most important consideration is whether or not you have a contract or not. Um, contracts are very unusual in employment um, in the United States in general, absolutely in Texas. Um, I don't have a contract. I don't think Kate has a contract with ATP. I, I can confirm I do not. <laughs> <laughs> but it is actually, public education is very different because it is actually very common in public education for a lot of staff members to have contracts. And that is because the Texas Education Code requires that all certified teachers and all administrators who are required to be certified by the State Board for Educator Certification be hired under a contract. And that makes up a lot of the staff of a public school district. So, so even though it is unusual um, in the grand scheme of things uh, in Texas, it is very common in public education, but that's the most important thing is whether you have a contract or not. So it might be pretty obvious for our listeners who are in the schools, but can, what is the difference between resigning if you have a contract and resigning if you don't? Well, the big difference is this. If you don't have a contract, this is a place where you have more rights, and this is it's unusual to be in a situation, but you have more rights in this scenario not having a contract than you do if you do have a contract, because if you do not have a contract, you can go in in the words of the old country western song that I grew up with don't know about the rest of you but um, excuse my language for those those who may have problems but that take this job and shove it um, there is no legal you have no legal requirement to continue working and you can go in and you can say I quit you know that the you know, the the professional expectation is that you give two weeks notice but there's no legal requirement for giving two weeks notice. You can just go in, say, I quit and walk out. You can just not show up for work anymore. That's if you don't have a contract. If you do have a contract, you're in a very different situation. And that's because the contract is a legally binding agreement between you and the school district. And the legal requirements work both ways. Teachers and other um, educators with contracts are usually very conscious of the fact that they have some legal protections that protect their job. They may not know really where those legal protections come from, but they kind of understand that they have them. Where those come from is from the contract. And it's because they have those legal protections because the contract says a school district can't walk into your classroom and say, you know, hey, today's your last day, the way they can with an at-will employee without a contract. But those legal requirements work both ways. The same way your principal, your HR director, or your superintendent can't walk into your room and say, you know, hey, we just don't feel like things are working out. Then today's going to be your last day. You also can't just walk into your principal's office, your HR director's office, or your superintendent's office and say, hey, you know, I've decided I'm going to take a different direction. Today is my last day. And again, you can't do that because your contract is a document that you, again, signed that created a legal obligation for you to work at least through the end of the school year in most cases. So you mentioned 
that, well, and just to clarify, we would not recommend saying take this job and shove it, even no, if you are an actual employee. Western song, but probably great, great song to dance to, but probably not the way of dealing with um, dealing with actually resigning from a job. But so say that you do have a contract and you do feel, you know, that resigning is your best option for your mental health or your family. You mentioned a release and securing a release. What is that and how does that work? Well, basically what a release is, is again, the contract is a legal obligation that you have taken on by signing that contract that says, again, you will work for the school year. And what a release is, is basically you are asking the district to release you from that legal obligation that you have taken on by signing the contract. So that's the significant thing. You know, we talk about resignations, but when you really, when you have a contract, what we're really talking about is we are talking about requesting a release from your contract. Now, it's important to know basically a little bit about how you deal with requesting a release. Most important thing to understand is that even though it may be the professional thing to do, and certainly we do recommend it as a professional courtesy, telling your principal that you are going to be requesting a release. It's important to understand your principal is not going to have the authority to release you from your contract. It does not matter what your principal says. If you go into your principal's office and say, hey, I found a better job. I'm giving two weeks notice. Your principal says, oh, hey, congratulations. Okay. That likely does not mean you have been released from your contract because the principal simply doesn't have the authority to do so. In most cases, school districts will have given that authority to the HR director. In a lot of school districts, particularly larger ones, superintendent almost always has that authority, if not always. It's it's pretty universal, if not entirely universal, that superintendent has that authority. Officially, it's the school board that has the authority to release you from your contract because it's a school board that acts on behalf of the district. That's who your contract is with. But again, they have delegated that to administrators to deal with um, just for very good practical reasons. And again, it's usually almost always a superintendent, very often HR director, very rarely anyone lower on the administrative ladder than an HR director. So again, you cannot take anything that your principal says of okay or something like that as saying that you actually have been released from this um, obligation that you've taken on. And that's important because there can be serious consequences if you leave without having that release. So do districts ever not grant those releases? It is honestly very common for districts to not grant releases. And the reason for that is a very practical one. And again, we're going to talk mostly about teachers here. And that is because if you are not there, they have a classroom full of kids without a teacher. What we hear most often from teachers who have basically requested a release is the response is, okay, we will let you go once we have found a suitable replacement. In other words, their interest is having someone in the classroom teaching the kids. 
Now, again, that's what they say. There is no legal obligation for them to work hard to find a suitable replacement or anything like that. And so it can be frustrating uh, for a teacher who is trying to leave and isn't really getting that help that from the administration as far as, you know, actually actually locating that um, replacement for them. But that's what we hear the most often is you will let you go once we find a replacement. Now, it's very important as to why it is that you, as an educator, are trying to leave. Because there are some situations that are considered good cause to leave and make it safe for you to leave, even if the district doesn't grant you that release. So does an educator have any recourse if the district doesn't grant the release? Well, and that comes down to that question about good cause. Um, basically, what happens is school district doesn't have a whole lot they can actually do directly to an educator that leaves. First of all, just to make sure it's clear, um, you can leave. There isn't anything the district can do to keep you from leaving. They're not going to send sheriff's deputies to your house to put you in handcuffs and bring you to school to teach. If you want to leave, you can leave. The issue is, is something bad going to happen to you when you leave? Now, there's a couple of possibilities. Now, the first is, again, we're talking about you leaving even though you have a contract, even though you have this legal obligation to work for the rest of the school year. Again, talking about legal obligation. What happens if you violate a legal obligation? Well, one thing that could possibly happen is you get taken to court. The district could sue you saying you have breached your contract. Again, you've agreed in this contract to work the whole school year. You're not working the whole school year. They could, again, take you to court saying you breached this contract. Now, there are some very good practical reasons why school districts don't actually do this. This is extremely, extremely rare. We've seen this happen in a couple of examples in charter schools, where a charter school actually has filed a lawsuit against a teacher uh, for leaving without a release. But again, it is very, very uncommon for this to happen. One of the main reasons is because um, to file a lawsuit, generally you have to have some kind of damages, some kind of, you have to, the district has to have been financially harmed in some way. And when you leave, you stop getting paid. That means the district has Again, there's a harm, but it's not a financial harm that the district has. So again, it's hard for the district to sue. So it's very rare for that to happen. But there is something that the district can do very easily. And that is they can file a complaint with the State Board for Educator Certification saying that you have abandoned your contract without good cause. And if the district files this complaint, again, all the district can do is file the complaint with the State Board for Educator Certification. They can't do anything to your certificate directly. Um, we hear from educators, from teachers all the time that will, will, you know, contact us and say, you know, I know the school district can hold my contract or excuse me, hold my certificate or something like that. District can't hold your certificate. All the district can do is file this complaint with the State Board for Educator Certification. So when SBEC gets one of these complaints, what does what do they do? Well, what they do 
most importantly, and first thing is they contact the educator to find out what happened. Why is it you left? And I mentioned just briefly a moment ago that there are situations that are considered good cause to leave. And where that comes from, where the standard for good cause comes from is from the SBEC rules. Now, SBEC stands for State Board for Educator Certification, and that is the entity that, number one, for most of you, um, gave you your educator certificates in the first place and has an ongoing authority to decide whether or not you get to keep your certificate. And one of the things that they can look at is, again, contract abandonment. abandonment. That is um, a ground for them to potentially sanction your certificate. It's in their rules. Um, their rules say how it is they can do this. It will say when it is that they can do this. And again, like I said, there are certain circumstances that are considered good cause. And what that means is that if you leave because of something that SBEC has determined is good cause, even though you've left, even though the district hasn't agreed to let you go, you will not be sanctioned by State Board for Educator Certification. And what that means practically is, again, theoretically, you could be sued, but that's very rare. The only thing that district can really do is file a complaint with SBEC. If SBEC says we're not going to pursue a complaint, that means you are free to go. But go about your business, go take another job, go whatever it is that you need to do. I will tell you, taking another job is not likely going to be one of those options. But what it is that you need to do, again, without being sanctioned, again, not because the district has decided to let you go, not because the district has decided not to hold your certificate or something like that, but because the State Board for Educator Certification or an investigator for the State Board for Educator Certification has decided to do that. Now, just to get into the process a little bit, like I said at the beginning, the process starts with an investigator contacting the teacher to find out why, what it is that happened, why did you leave? If the teacher can establish that they had something that was considered a good cause to the investigator, the investigator will generally just close the case at that point. If there is some question about whether it is good cause or not, um, they may want to try and settle with some kind of sanction. Um, SBEC cannot automatically sanction any teacher either. They have due process that they have to go through, which requires a hearing. And so a teacher is going to have a right to defend themselves regardless of what it is that happens. But again, if a teacher can establish that they had good cause, that generally will end up before they have to go to a hearing, before they have to come to Austin to appear, all of that kind of thing. Now, another thing I want to mention is that separate from, again, these standards of good cause, which means you get to leave without any sanction at all, SBEC also has in their rules what are called mitigating factors. And those are things that they will take into account. Again, they're not as serious as the good cause factors, but they're things that they will take into account to possibly lower the sanction um, so that um, whatever penalty you have is not as great as it would have been if these mitigating factors didn't exist. What, so what are some of the mitigating factors that would be considered helpful or acceptable? Well, the mitigating factors are things like the amount of time that you gave the district, the amount of notice that you gave them before you left, well, how, much, uh, how, how much preparation 
did you have? Um, did you have a week's worth of lesson plans or did you have two months worth of lesson plans prepared before you left? You know, that puts the district in a much better position if there's if there are lesson plans there for a substitute teacher or somebody else to just take over. It makes it easier for them. Um, it's things like that that are mitigating factors. Um, now, I know I've mentioned good cause as well, and I should mention what those factors are too, and there are a number of them. Um, they're probably ones that when you hear them are gonna be like, well, that makes sense. Of course you shouldn't be sanctioned if, if that has happened. But again, these are the specific standards for good cause in the Texas Administrative Code, which is, again, are the rules that, that SPEC go by. And these are their rules. They don't look, again, other than mitigating factors, they don't look at, oh, you know, that's pretty sympathetic. It doesn't fit the rules, but, you know, it's sympathetic. And so we're going to let this person go. Again, if they've mitigated things, that may be the case. But the good cause factors are only what are in the education code. And there are three of them. The first is situate, is a health issue for the educator. You know, again, pretty much, you know, makes sense that that would be the case. If you have a health issue, a medical issue that comes up that would interfere with your ability to do your job, that obviously is good cause for you to leave. Again, it seems pretty obvious, but it is actually officially in the rules. So that is one thing for good cause. That will tell you they will want something from a doctor. They're not just going to take your word for it. They're going to want something from a doctor that certifies, that establishes that, in fact, you really do have a medical health or health condition that really would interfere with your ability to your, do your job. And when I say interfere, I really mean it makes it where you would not be able to do your job. Not just makes it a little bit more difficult, but where you really wouldn't be able to do that. The second factor is a transfer of a spouse or a partner to another area. And this is a situation where, again, your spouse or your partner has a job and they get transferred to a different city. And it comes down to a situation of either you are going to abandon your contract to go with them to that other city, because school districts don't go in multiple cities very often, um, or you're going to split up, you know, you're going to have to not live with your spouse or partner. Um, SPEC decided that was not appropriate. And so they established that that was good cause. So if you can show that your spouse or partner is getting transferred to another city, another area, that can be considered good cause. Now we'll say that there is no strict black and white number of miles that the transfer has to be to be considered good cause. Um, you know, just give an example. I know that, you know, moving from one side of Houston to the other side of Houston can make a very substantial difference in the commute time. That said, it probably wouldn't be considered good cause to abandon the contract. Um, moving from Houston to Waco, on the other hand, that absolutely would be considered good cause. Houston to a suburb, you know, I'm not really sure. It's hard to say whether that would be considered good cause. That's one of those situations where factors of how much time would it really take, were there children involved, your, your own children, I mean, involved, uh, might be taken into consideration to determine whether, okay, this transfer is far enough to make a good cause. The third situation that's considered good cause is a little bit more broad. 
And that is a change in family circumstances that again, interferes with your ability to do your job. So it's kind of similar to the first, it's kind of similar to both of the other reasons, which you know are some kind of change that interfere with the job. But this is a little bit more broad. This can be anything from um, a family member that needs your help in dealing with a health issue. And this is something we see all the time with educators who have parents who are getting elderly and their parent needs help in going to either around the house or going to um, their own um, doctor's appointments and things like that. And the educator is caught between having to help their, their, their parent or um, work. Uh, the situation that came up in, during the pandemic is, again, could be parents, could be your own child. You know, something comes up where your child can't go to school anymore. It's going to be at home and can't be at home by themselves. So you need to be at home, which can very definitely, of course, interfere with your ability to do your job regularly. Um, basically, what it comes down to is those kinds of situations can be considered good cause to abandon the contract. Again, this is kind of a broad um, standard for good cause in this case. It can cover a lot of ground, but it does require a couple of things. Number one, it says a change in family circumstances. It needs to be something the educator didn't know about at, before the school year started. Um, and, and I will tell you from personal experience, um, the State Board for Educator Certification, the investigators really do look at that. About did you know, did you not know that you're going to need to help your parents, or did you not know that your child was going to be in this situation before? They will ask those questions and they will take that into consideration in deciding what to do. So it needs to be a change in circumstances. And again, you need to be able to show that in fact you're doing this thing really is going to make it difficult for you to do your job. But if if you can show those two things, then again, that can be considered good cause. So those are the three standards for good cause, which are, again, if you can show those, you get to walk without any sanction at all. Then separate, there's the mitigating factors, things like the amount of time you get the school district before you leave, the amount of preparation, um, trying to find a, a, a um, replacement for yourself. Those kinds of things can be considered and may reduce the sanction that you get. Now, I've been talking about sanctions. I've been talking about penalties. So let me just tell you what that is. The normal sanction for abandoning a contract without good cause and without mitigating circumstances is a one-year suspension of teaching license or administrator's license, whatever kind of license it is that you have. Again, that can be reduced if you have mitigating factors, but it's a one-year suspension. It will be on your certificate forever. The fact that you were suspended for a year and during that year, you cannot teach. You cannot use that, that license for all practical purposes. That license doesn't exist for a year. Um, but that is basically um, what SBEC does when they get a complaint from a school district that a teacher has left uh, without being released. Now, practically speaking, if the teacher can show the school district that they have one of those good cause factors, a lot of times school district won't bother to file a complaint with the State Board for Educator Certification because they recognize that again, okay, if you can establish you've got a health issue, again, there's no point in us doing it because you're not gonna be sanctioned. If you can establish that um, your spouse has moved 
again, there's no point in us filing a complaint. But practically speaking, legally speaking, the decision is with the State Board of Educator Certification. So it seems like a lot of the members that we're hearing from currently are experiencing overwork and burnout. Now, is overwork a factor that SBEC would consider? Unfortunately, no, that is not one of the factors. That is also not one of the factors either for good cause. That is also not a mitigating factor either. Um, I can certainly understand why it feels like it should at least be a mitigating factor. It's like, okay, uh, I, you know, how could anyone expect somebody to work under these circumstances? But I will tell you, it is not considered one, at least directly. Now, I will tell you from having talked to Again, myself, a number of teachers this fall who have been struggling with these issues. Teachers are used to working hard. I've been working with teachers for about a month short of 25 years at this point. And I know from personal experience that teachers, anyone in public education is used to working hard. That's not the issue this year. The fact that you have to work hard, that's always the case. The issue this year is just the that the expectations are far beyond anything that has happened before. And what we're hearing from is a lot of teachers that are dealing with situations where that those expectations, those work expectations are affecting their health or are affecting their family. If you've got a situation where it's affecting your health, even though the excess work itself is not considered a good cause, the effect it has on your health, again, could be considered a good cause. Again, remember, you know, health issues can be considered a good cause. Again, going to need something from a doctor certifying that, in fact, you do have this health-related issue, but that is something, again, we've we've assisted teachers with pretty regularly over the fall. Um, Our teachers who, because of the stress that they're dealing with, have had health issues, that have given them good cause to leave the jobs that they're in Um, or because, again, it has affected their family in some way that um, it meets that last um, standard for good cause. Does it make any difference to SBEC if the educator is retiring when they abandon their contract? No, that actually does not make much of any difference with SBAC. It doesn't officially, there's, there's nothing in the rules that, that distinguishes an educator who is retiring from an educator who is just wanting to go to a different job. There's, there's nothing in the rules at all. My own experience, the experience we have had is that it does not really have much practical, um, does not make much practical difference for SBEC either. I think one reason for that is because of the changes in retire rehire rules, and it is not uncommon anymore for teachers to retire and go back into teaching anyway. And and so that may be one reason why SBEC doesn't consider whether teacher is retiring or not, uh, but they don't. Now, may make a practical, distinction for the teacher, because again, honestly, if you're retiring, you may not need your license. You may not for that year. You may not care whether or not 
your license suspended for a year and whether that suspension is noted on your license forever if you're retiring. Now, when talking to teachers, I always warn them that, you know, you may not need this license anymore, but I don't know what may come up in your future where you have some question as to whether you have ever had a state license that has been sanctioned. Um, that does come up in some situations, either you're applying for some other license or, you know, I don't know, I can't say where that question might come up, but that question might come up. So even if you were planning on retirement, I always warn, warn educators that, you know, don't feel like just because you don't care about this particular license, it's meaningless. You may want to do it anyway, but be aware this could have consequences for you. You also didn't mention that getting a promotion was considered good cause, is it? Um, at present, it is not. Now, that there are some changes to these rules that may be coming um, in the um, not too distant future. Aspect is, as we're, we're speaking now, considering changes to the rules. Um, and the main changes that they are considering is adding some, some standards that for the mitigating standards, some additional ones that aren't there now, um, to the ones that are there now. One of those is an educator who is receiving a promotion. Now, again, this isn't something that would be considered good cause. It's not, okay, you can show you can get a promotion, you can leave without having to worry about being sanctioned. But it is possibly being um, added to the mitigating factors, which means that it may either reduce your sanction or one of the other changes that they're making to the rules is clarifying that it is possible to mitigate um, situation down to zero. In other words, there was some question as to, okay, you didn't have good cause, but you had, you know, you had three or four mitigating factors. Did you have to be have penalized in some way? Um, just because, again, you had mitigating factors, but, you know, you still left without being released. They changed the rules, or again, proposed changing the rules to say that it is very possible to have enough mitigating factors that you don't get sanctioned at all. So it is possible that, you know, you get a promotion, you also give them a lot of, lot of warning before you leave, and you leave them with great lesson plans, that would be enough for respect to say, okay, that's good enough, we're not going to sanction you at all. It could be that you get a promotion, don't have that much, don't give them that much time. Um, because you don't have that much time before you have to take the other job, they may say, well, we're not going to sanction you, but we're going to give you a reprimand, which means your certificate's going to be there, which means you can still take that other job, but you're going to have something that shows that they're not really entirely happy with you. But again, promotion is one thing that they are proposing to add to the rules. Um, changes in salary is another thing that they are thinking of adding to the rules. Um, again, as a mitigating factor, um, reductions, and when I say changes, I mean reductions in salary. And finally, they are considering adding um, workplace safety issues, workplace safety concerns as a possible mitigating factor. In other words, if you leave because you can show that you really had legitimate safety issues in the job that you were in, 
uh, SBAC may take that into account. Now, again, at this point, these are proposed rules. They have not gone into effect. We don't know whether they will go into effect or not. Um, there's a process that SBAC has to go through when um, they are considering adopting new rules, and we are just partway through that process at this point. So we don't know whether these will be added, whether all of these will be added, some of these will be added. Of course, you know, we will make sure to um, let ATP members know, you know, through some means, blog, or possibly another webcast, or some way um, when these changes get made, if and when they do. Absolutely. As always, stay tuned to ATP Publications the ATP website and our advocacy blog at teachthevote.org for more information on this and all other topics. Um, This is a good example of the rulemaking process that happens during the interim, which is why it's important to stay plugged in even between legislative sessions. Paul, thank you so much. This has been a really really instructive podcast, I think, with a lot of good information. And we certainly hope as we near the winter holidays here at the end of this week that all of our listeners get a chance for some good rest and to just really spend time with family and friends and take a break from what has been a truly remarkable year in terms of challenges. Yes. Um, Let me just second everything that Kate just said. Um, You all absolutely deserve a break um, this time of the school year. Um, So I hope you all have wonderful holidays. I um, really appreciate you spending a little, letting me um, spend a little time with you um, in this podcast. Um, I also wanted to share that just we have some more information about requesting releases on our website at www.atpe.org, along with a number of other issues too. So if you have some questions about anything that I have shared uh, with you in this podcast, you may find the answers there, along with answers to a lot of other um, education-related legal matters. And as always, please feel free to send any feedback or ideas for future podcasts to com at atpe.org, C-O-M-M at atpe.org. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the ATPE podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org. The information provided in this podcast is for general purposes only. Individual legal situations vary greatly and viewers needing individual legal advice should consult directly with an attorney. Eligible ATPE members may contact the ATPE Member Legal Services Department.